Welcome to another Meathead Monday edition of Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. And uh, today on the show, have a little bit of a hodgepodge for you. Uh, might be a little bit shorter of a show today. I've bought myself a small window uh, where I'm hoping my dogs won't bark. But they've, <laughs> for whatever reason, got a uh, bug up their butts today. So I'm not really sure what we're going to have there. Um, you know, every... Instagram story I see on the internet says it's because Mercury's in retrograde or some nonsense like that, but um, maybe that only applies to human females and not to my dogs. I expect more out of my dogs than that, so we'll see what happens. But if they do interrupt us, I apologize, uh, but it's probably going to happen at some point. We are at that time of year, whether it's, I don't even know what Mercury in retrograde means, or if it's just because the weather's changing, but we are at that time of year where uh, not only am I going outside in the morning in a light jacket and thinking it's okay because my weather app said it was 45 when I left this morning, which it was, uh, but we're at the time of year where I need to start paying a little bit more close attention to the forecast. Otherwise, you have situations like tonight where I get off of work and I'm pumping gas in basically a windbreaker. So, and uh, it's, you know, 20 degrees outside and snowing. So that wasn't as much fun as I'd like. But that time of year in Omaha also means it's the time of year in college football where you've got some really fantastic games uh, going on. Obviously, there was the Alabama LSU game, which for once, at least for me, finally lived up to the hype. I think I've been pretty soured on this game ever since that 9-6 to debacle like seven years ago, maybe eight years ago now. Um, and I just haven't been that enthused about this game really ever since then. They followed that one up with a 21 to nothing clunker in the national championship game that same year, and it just hasn't been... These these games haven't these LSU Alabama games haven't been compelling the way you would want them to be, and you know finally this year both teams have good quarterbacks and what do you know you have good quarterbacks you have a really good football game who'd have thunk it uh, apparently neither Nick Saban or Les Miles until uh, who you know obviously until he got fired thought to get good quarterback plays for uh, a really long time uh, you arguably too long but you never know anyway. That game was phenomenal. You had an incredible Oklahoma-Iowa State uh, finish where probably pass interference on Oklahoma on that two-point conversion, if we're being honest. Um, but it's one of those things where they throw the flag, people freak out. They don't th throw the flag, people freak out. There's really no way to win there. And frankly, there's no guarantee Iowa State would have gotten the conversion had they called the penalty anyway. Not saying that means you shouldn't call it, but just something else to think about that people tend to conveniently forget is... They throw the. They assume that you throw the penalty flag, and Iowa State definitely gets the two point conversion at that point. Well, that's not always how that works. So, anyway, uh, that was an incredible game. You had. Uh, I I have a weird affinity for SMU, and they were in another barn burner, fifty nine to fifty one. Um, you have to imagine Sonny Dykes is going to get a new job here at some point, but who knows? Maybe he likes it down there at SMU. I wouldn't bet on it, but you never know. Uh, the other, um, really big game of the weekend obviously was, uh, Minnesota against Penn State. I was, frankly, I was shocked. Uh, not that, not in the result of that game specifically, although I did think Penn State was going to win, 
but I'm just kind of shocked at the whole PJ Fleck experience in general. It's bizarre, I guess, to say the least. And I don't know, I'm probably I'm probably a little biased because he looks like such a douchebag that I really just assumed he was a bad football coach and had gotten either, I don't know, lucky at Western Michigan. I don't know. Western Michigan, Central Michigan, whichever one he was at. But, you know, it would... And listen, Minnesota's schedule up to this point had been incredibly easy, like cupcake easy. But beating a, you know, number four Penn State team that was, you know, in the first edition of the college football playoff rankings, I mean, this is a legitimate win. Now, do they have the juice to go out and, and finish off the their regular season against, you know, with wins against uh who's their I think they've got they've got Iowa coming up, Northwestern and then Wisconsin. So uh, you know, Iowa and Wisconsin certainly are tough opponents and you know, we'll see we'll see if Minnesota really is for real. By that point they would have three pretty good wins and you almost have to, you know, if they're undefeated at that point, just kudos. Um, but the whole PJ Fleck thing has really kind of surprised me. And listen, I thought it was a good hire for Minnesota at the time, but I thought it was a good hire for Minnesota. You know, I didn't think it was, I wasn't that high on PJ Fleck in general. But, you know, if you look at the, he was, if you look at some of the other coaches that have been hired recently, whether it's, you know, Willie Taggart, who ended up getting fired just last week. You look at uh, Chad Morris got fired at Arkansas. You look at, obviously, Scott Frost struggling at Nebraska. You know, some of the guys, the only new guys that are really succeeding at a super high level uh, in a Power 5 job are Mario Cristobal out in Oregon and P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. So, I mean, hats off to him, uh, and we'll see how the rest of the season plays out, but you really you can't take nine and zero away. That's a real thing, and and you really can't argue with it. Uh, so that's that's uh, impressive on their part. The I did want to get to I mentioned Chad Morris and Willie Taggart being fired, and there's been a little bit of an outrage on the internet amongst either former or current college football coaches. You know, I think Tommy Tuberville, uh, the former Auburn, Texas Tech, and I believe Cincinnati for a time uh, head coach saying oh the ADs aren't giving the they're giving the head coaches enough time and when you take that sentence in a vacuum they're probably right you know less than 2 years in the case of Morris and Taggart probably is not enough time but in general I would say less than 2 years is not enough time but in the specific cases of Morris and Taggart I would argue that those were just bad hires from the outset and it was I mean at some point you're just following good money with bad money, right? And or bad money with more bad money. It doesn't following bad money with bad money doesn't make it good money, right? And if you're Arkansas or Florida State, you know, maybe you just look at it and realize, hey, this was a bad hire. I wasn't excited about the Florida State hire of Taggart when it happened. It seemed like they zeroed in on him. It seemed like they really didn't even consider anyone else. He was only seven and five in his only year at Oregon. He was okay at South Florida, not great. He was okay at Western Kentucky. I just, he seems like a guy that's failed upward his entire career, and it's probably because he's charismatic and he's a pretty good recruiter, but, 
it's one of those things where I never understood the fascination with Willie Taggart, even when Oregon hired him. I certainly didn't understand it when when uh, Florida State hired him. And so, to me, Florida State firing him was, I mean, that was felt inevitable. And if it's inevitable, then why are you waiting? If it's just to save money on a buyout, well, you know, these programs make money hand over fist. And if you can't find the money to buy a guy out, then you're probably just horribly mismanaging your athletic department. Which, you know, might be the case, but that's not my problem. And same thing with Chad, with, uh, Chad Morris at Arkansas. First of all, that Arkansas job is not an easy job at all. It's one of the harder jobs in the country because of who's in their division. And also, they are not they don't have the same geographical advantages that a lot of the SEC does. They're not in... I mean, listen, they have to go into Texas or one of the other southeastern states to go get their players there's not a ton of natural talent there in in Arkansas and so you're kind of up against it in terms of of your recruiting pitches and just in terms of history and notoriety and and everything there Arkansas is probably the worst job I mean outside of like Vanderbilt which I always tend to forget is in the SEC Arkansas is one of the harder jobs in the country though and certainly one of the harder jobs in that conference so Um, I wasn't enamored with the hire of Chad Morris either. He was at SMU before Sonny Dykes took over and he was okay. I think he was, I think he had two bowl games, like a six and six and a seven and five season before he got hired away, but it wasn't like he lit the world on fire at SMU. And so I wasn't really sure that seemed like a weird kind of, it's almost seemed like they hired him on his reputation from being the offensive coordinator back at. Clemson and just were like well he wasn't horrible when he became a head coach so let's put him in Arkansas Arkansas I think you have to get a pretty unique guy to be able to be successful there and uh, I don't know it's it'll be interesting to see who they go with as far as Florida State's concerned aside from the fact that they were just cutting ties with bad money I also think they were trying to get in early on some of these candidates where you know, USC is probably going to be open this year. You wonder if Michigan's going to be open this year if they if Harbaugh loses to Ohio State again. So you've got some pretty premier jobs that are going to be open. And if you're Florida State and you want to get on the market first, that makes total sense to me. The kind of bizarre and frustrating thing about, um, as somebody who roots for Florida State, in addition to Nebraska, um, one of the frustrating things about Florida State and the search is, it seems like every day there's some, whether it's local media down there in Tallahassee or national media, media, they're just grabbing on to whatever stories they can come up with. I mean, you know, 48 hours after the Willie Taggart was fired, it sounded like it was a done deal that Bob Stoops was going there. And then it turns out Bob Stoops was never a, a candidate, but Mark Stoops might be a candidate, but he's still got a football team to coach for the rest of the season. So who knows if Mark Stoops is really a candidate and then you hear, you know, your names like Mike Norvell and Matt Campbell and in Memphis and Iowa State respectively and those kind of make sense and then you hear a name out of left field like Deion Sanders who would be a total and unmitigated disaster taking over a football program of that magnitude uh, at this point in his life so uh, you really have it's all over the map in terms of the things you're hearing and I'm guessing just about none of it's accurate Um, but that's just a guess on my part for my money I would love to see either Lane Kiffin come up from FAU and take over the Florida State job. He's shown he can be a preeminent offensive mind, uh, most recently at his uh, offensive coordinating stint in Alabama. And he, 
don't know. He just has, I get that a lot of people hate him. Uh, I think he's really funny and he's one of the few seemingly honest people in uh, coaching, which I just appreciate. And I, he, you know, does things like tweet pictures of blind referees after, after he feels like he got jobbed in a game. I like that out of a head coach. I don't know what you want. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I think he'd be a fun hire. I don't know that he'd be the best hire, but he would be a lot of fun. Uh, the other guy that I really would love to see them hire, and I think probably is the best hire in terms of guys they can actually get, is Mike Leach. Mike Leach has a home in the Florida Keys. He's obviously got an affinity for the state. He lives there in the offseason. And I think he's just one of the best football minds that you know of the generation. He turned two of the most despondent and isolated football programs in, in Texas Tech and Washington State and turned them into ranked teams. And in Texas Tech, he was within, you know, a whisper of playing for a national championship a couple of those years. So Texas Tech is, I mean, that was probably one of the best coaching jobs anybody's ever done is what he did at Texas Tech. And I don't think people appreciate how bad Washington State was when he got there either. And he's turned them into a, they're a little bit down this year, but a pretty perennial top 25 team. And not to mention, he's pumped out the likes of uh, Gardner Minshew, who's just a legend, even though he got benched for Nick Foles after Nick Foles came back and got healthy. So I would like to see one of those two guys, either Leach or Kiffin, get the job, if for no other reason than my entertainment. And at the end of the day, isn't that really what this is all about, is just being entertained? Um, I think so. So that would be kind of the direction I would take it. Um, But in terms of people freaking out about, oh, is is this how it's going to be? with every coach if he's not successful in two years, I don't think that's the case. As I said with Chad Morris and Willie Taggart, I think it was an administration at, you know, uh, recognizing that bad hires were made, and instead of just continuing to ride it out and see things get worse and worse, they just cut ties. I don't think that's something you're going to see on a regular basis. I think most coaches are going to get four years. Um, any more than that these days is probably too much to ask for, but... I think if you get a full recruiting cycle, that's that's about all you should need to at least see progress. I mean, it's, you're not going to see, like, let's take Scott Frost, for instance. I'm not saying they're going to be Big Ten champions by the end of his first four years, but if they're four years in and they haven't made any progress, you know, if they go two more years without making a bowl game, then you've got issues and you have to have that conversation. I think that's legitimate to have that conversation at that point, so... I don't think you're going to see an epidemic of coaches getting fired before their second year is over, if for no other reason that the buyouts are too expensive for most ADs to swallow. Um, And not to mention, most ADs don't like being wrong. And if you have to fire a head coach that you hired, you're probably not too far behind. So a lot of them will try and ride that thing out as long as they can. That's just how I see it anyway. Um, So those that's kind of what's going on in college football. Some of the things that I thought were interesting. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. And then on the other side, I have some very meathead things for you. I know this hasn't been a very meatheady podcast so far. So let's take a break. On the other side, we'll get into all the meatheadedness you can handle. Thank you to Fruitful Design for supporting the Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula podcast. Fruitful Design helps businesses and nonprofits be, well, fruitful with top shelf design and strategy. Whether you need a logo, website, or anything else to promote your business, which I need it all of, Fruitful Design can help you grow. 
They helped me set up my website for heavy lifting with Robbie Lula and were quick, friendly, and professional. Check Fruitful out online at www.fruitful.design. Once again, that's www.fruitful.design. Welcome back to a Meathead Monday edition of the Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula podcast. And I promised some meatheadedness on this side of the break, and I've got it for you. I wanted to go over my top five favorite lifts. And there's a couple reasons I wanted to do that. Number one, I thought it was a fun exercise. But once I started doing that, number two, it (laughs) made me kind of uh, reflect upon myself and see why I liked those exercises. And what I learned was, you know, still a meathead, but I... You know, I like to fancy myself a power lifter because I've competed a few times. I've, at least for locally, I did okay. And I like to lift heavy things, right? I, I like lifting heavy things. But as I examine my li- uh, list of my favorite lifts, I think I have a much more bodybuilder mindset in terms of the lifts that I enjoy. I just have a uh, super heavyweight power lifter's mindset on the foods I like to eat. So, Um, I'm somewhere caught in the middle there, but uh, as you'll see on my list, there's a lot of show muscles, uh, a lot of uh, beach muscles, if you will. Uh, I like to call them the glory muscles, the muscles that get all the attention, but uh, that are almost never overlooked in terms of guys' workout routines. And so uh, you'll see what I mean when I get to the list. But I'm gonna I, my top five favorite lifts. I'm gonna go from five to one. I'm guessing you probably know what one is if you've met me ever before. Uh, but you know, no spoilers here. Number five, I really enjoy the trap bar deadlift. And if you're not familiar with the trap bar, it's a usually diamond or hexagonal shape. Uh, bar where you stand in the middle of it and you can load plates on each side. And the reason I like, well, let me start why I like deadlifts in general. Number one, you can pull a pretty massive amount of weight. Usually that's one of people's stronger lifts is the deadlift. And that just feels really, really good. Let me, I'm just gonna be honest with you. There's a very like primal feeling of pulling a lot of weight off of the floor and standing up with it, and it feels really cool. And so that's why I like deadlifts in general. Why I like trap bar deadlifts as opposed to conventional or sumo deadlifts is because I have a terrible low back. And because of the way the weight is out in front of me on a traditional or a sumo deadlift, I constantly hurt my low back while I'm training it, and I have to take time off, and then I don't get any stronger, and then I take my... And then I try it back up again, and then I hurt my back again, and I have to take more time off. It's been a cycle I've been going through for probably the better part of five years, and it's super annoying, and I hate it. So with the trap bar deadlift, because of the way it's designed, the weight's really close to in line with your center of gravity. I don't get the I don't get pulled out in front, and it puts a lot less stress on my low back. And so I get the primal uh, just rush of pulling a lot of weight off the ground. Uh, without the horrible back pain. So that's a win in both worlds if you're me. Now, on the downside, obviously you can't trap bar deadlift in a powerlifting competition. You have to use one of the uh, one of the conventional or uh, or sumo variations, a traditional variation. So obviously I can't continue to compete if I don't go back to the straight bar deadlift at some point, um, but maybe I'll just do do other things because 
it, it's really at this point, the, the stress that it puts on my back is not worth it. And then it makes me not want to work out at all. Cause I feel injured and it's a whole thing. So, uh, that's why I prefer the trap bar deadlift. I think it's a lot of fun. You can pull a ton of weight. And for me, and honestly, for most people, it's a healthier variation of a deadlift. Now, let me be clear here. I understand that the deadlift hurting my back is my fault and not the deadlift's fault, right? If I had the ankle and hip mobility to get in the proper positions on a straight bar deadlift, I almost certainly could do it without having constant pain. That being said, the time and effort I would have to put in in order to fix those deficiencies of mine, to me, is simply not worth it because... As I've kind of discussed on a podcast a couple weeks ago, you know, it's hard enough for me recently, just the way life has been, to get in the gym and do the things I like and do the the big heavy lifts and the glory muscles and all that kind of stuff. It's just been hard enough to do that as is, right? So I really don't have the time or the energy to dedicate either some of that time or additional time to simply just rehab work, to work on my flexibility and my ankles and my hips and really not get to do anything fun. Um, I know myself, and I'm just <laughs> I'm not going to do that. It's not worth it to me. So instead, uh, I compromise, and I do trap bar deadlifts instead of regular deadlifts. And does that make me soft? Probably a little bit, but what are you going to do? That's where I am. Uh, speaking of that, though, I was really proud of myself this week. I was able to get four lifts in in a week for the first time in quite a while, including two leg days, a squat focused dead lay and a, a squat focused leg day and a trap bar focused leg day and I made it out unscathed and uninjured for the first time doing two leg days in a week in probably months so probably before my wedding in July to be honest so that was a big accomplishment for me this week so celebrate your little victories they're uh you know they're they're important too and they help keep you going so um just wanted to share that my little victory with you guys so number five is trap bar deadlift. Number four is a penned lay row. And for those of you that aren't familiar with a pen lay row, it's like a bent over row, except for instead of going from a rack, like most bent over rows do, you go all the way from the floor. And I'll be honest, this one kind of hurts my low back a little bit too, if it's not real healthy, but because I'm not pulling or trying to stand up with it, it actually doesn't bother it nearly as much as deadlifts do. So basically you get in a kind of bent over position like you would for a bent over row and you get over the weight and you pull it directly up to your chest. And so it's just a little further extension. Um, there's some look up a pen lay row if you want to do one. I'm not I'm not describing it very well right now. But what I like about pen lay rows and you're going to notice a theme here. <laughs> uh, you can do a lot of weight with a pen lay row and a, it's really fun. B, it looks super impressive. And C, it's just really good for your back development, especially if you bench a lot. It's really good for getting some heavy work in to even out your back muscles so you're not constantly pushing and never pulling. It just helps with the uh, muscle imbalance that a lot of people have because people tend to push more than they pull. So look up a Penley Row. I did a horrible job of describing it. Um, look them up. They're a lot of fun. You can do a lot of weight. Uh, for instance, I, the, my best Penley row is, is three plates, so 315 pounds, um, which it, it's just a lot of fun to row that much, and it's it's pretty cool. So I would check those out for sure. I really enjoy doing them. 
when my back doesn't hurt, which is almost never. So I don't do them as often as I would like. Um, number three. Okay. So I've got a tie here and I get that's cheating a little bit, but it's my list. Also, they're similar exercises and I like them for similar reasons. Okay. And this is into, we're getting into the if I wasn't being vain enough before, we're getting into the very vain reason as to uh, why I like certain lifts. And this is, i am got a tie between chest flies and, and that's cable chest flies. So I'm standing up with cables, cable chest flies or dumbbell shoulder flies. So lateral shoulder raises. Some people call them, I call them shoulder flies. And the reason I like those, number one, and really, uh, really the only reason <laughs> I think I look cool while I'm doing them. And because of this, I really enjoy doing the lift and <laughs> I don't know what it is, uh, but just the way my body's positioned when I'm standing upright, doing the shoulder, uh, raises the lateral shoulder raises, the shoulder flies, or when I'm standing upright doing with a little bit of a lean, doing the, uh, cable chest flies. I just think I look really cool. I usually think I look more jacked than I actually am. And so that helps a lot. That makes me want to continue to do those lifts. Uh, so that's really a, that's the very simple explanation on that one right there. Number two on my list. Now, this one was a little bit, I knew I was going to go with the bicep exercise here because biceps are fun to work and then you can flex in the mirror and you feel really jacked and you feel good about yourself. Um, I specifically chose the preacher curl with the easy bar. The easy bar is the one that kind of has the curve so your wrists don't get all messed up. That's important for me because my wrists often get messed up. Uh, but I chose the preacher curl because I get the best pump from the preacher curl in the bicep. And that's really what you're doing it for, right? You're doing it for the pump so you look all pumped up, so you look jacked, so you feel jacked, you feel good. And that's what I get out of the preacher curl. And... This is where, like I said, I really like the glory muscles. I like the muscles that make that are very noticeable and make you look big and strong and like you work out. Shoulder flies and chest, like I said in the last one, you know, that's one of the first things people notice about you when you work out. Biceps is right behind it, right? And so uh, really don't have a better explanation than that. I like the way uh, they make me feel when I do them, and I like how I look when I'm done doing them, so... That's the, that's the bicep preacher curl on the easy bar. And my number one, this is probably a no-brainer for any of you that know me, is the bench press. This traditional flat bench, straight bar. Um, I don't really get into the variations. I know sometimes people use, uh, I think they're called touchdown bars, where you've got some horizontal, um, I guess they're vertical. you got some vertical grips on the bar. Or you can do, obviously, dumbbell variations or stuff like that, incline, decline. Those are all fine. I like your traditional flat bench with a barbell. And, you know, it, a lot of it, stupidly enough, comes down to uh, it's probably my best lift. Uh, my best, my max at, at uh, on a flat bench is 385. So it's probably my best li uh, lift per my body weight. Um it's also the one I enjoy doing the most. I just love benching, and and that's why I do it or try to do it twice a week. I do a heavy day and a light day. I just love benching. It's a lot of fun. You get a nice pump in your shoulders and your chest, a um, little bit in your triceps. For me, mostly it's shoulders and chest that I feel. 
but I just love benching and it's also a lot of fun. Like it's good to, it's nice to have a good answer when somebody asks if you work out and then immediately afterward they ask how much you bench. It's nice to have a good answer. And just so we're clear, when I say a good answer for a guy my size, got to be over 300 pounds. That's just what it is. You know, if you work out a lot and you, you know, I'm about 245. If you work out a lot, you weigh somewhere in my neighborhood, you really got to be able to get over that 300 pound, uh, that 300 pound barrier. That's what a good number is. Now, to be clear, I read a stat that 95% of the, the male population will never bench press 225 in their life. Now, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I read it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Um, but for lifters, you got to get over that 300 pound mark to, to be considered legit, if you will. So obviously that, uh, Bench press is by far my favorite lift. It's not even close. Um, I would bench press every day if I could. I just love it. Uh, it's it's irrational. I understand, um, but we all like things we're good at, right? And that's listen. I get I'm not the best bencher in the world, but that's the thing I'm the best at in terms of benching or in terms of lifting. And I like lifting, so I like the thing that I'm best at within lifting. It's really not rocket science, <laughs> but. Uh, it's a lot of fun and I feel like I look cool doing it. And it, like I said, it's fun to be able to tell people what your max is when it's a good number. Um, so that's, that's my, those are my top five favorite lifts. And like I said at the top, part of the reason, uh, I wanted to share that with you is number one, I just thought it was a fun, silly exercise. Number two, it kind of taught me something about myself that, you know, while I primarily train or in the past have trained for, um, strength and power and powerlifting, uh, I really enjoy the bodybuilding exercises and components of it a lot more. So who knows, maybe I'll try bodybuilding for a little bit. Although I don't know if I can ever get that diet down. That's, uh, the strictness of the diet's always been the struggle for me there, but that's, uh, that's all I have for the top five lifts. Uh, you can always, I would love to hear your favorite lifts. You can hit me up on Facebook, heavy lifting with Robbie Lula or on Twitter or Instagram, at R-A-Lula. If you like the lifting stuff, I have a lot of lifting stuff on the Instagram, so check that out. You can always find the podcast on at uh, RaviLulaRadio.com as well. I want to give you a little idea of what's going on for the rest of the week. So obviously we've got Star Wars Wednesday on uh, a Wednesday, so we've got Episode 3 coming up. Now, we'll have Episode 4, that's A New Hope, the following Wednesday, but because I wanted to stay in chronological order... And we've only got a certain amount of time before Rise of Skywalker comes out. This is going to be an all Star Wars week from here on out. Where I've got Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, on Wednesday. We're going to have Solo, a Star Wars story, on Friday. And then we're going to have Rogue One on Monday. Followed by, obviously, uh, Episode 4, A New Hope, the following Wednesday. So you're going to have four straight Star Wars podcasts. I hope you can handle it. But it's getting down to that time of year. And in that time, between now and then, The Mandalorian is going to come out as well. So I'm probably going to watch that and review that. I don't know when we'll get that in, in terms of uh, getting the the podcast up for it. But we'll figure it out, I promise. And uh, I'll probably give you plenty of time to watch that uh, on Disney+. Plus. I don't get paid by Disney+, Plus, but I just assume if you're a Star Wars fan, you're going to end up with Disney+. Plus. So... Uh, I'll give you plenty of time to watch The Mandalorian before we do any podcast with it uh, as I'm trying to get all these other movies, the movie podcast done before Rise of Skywalker. So you've got today's, 
Wednesday, you got Revenge of the Sith. Friday, you've got Solo. Monday, you've got Rogue One. And the following Wednesday, you have A New Hope. Tons of Star Wars for you. Just wanted to let you know what was going on there. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula on your podcast platform of choice. And please, 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 if you like the show, tell your friends, tell whoever you think else would like it, share it on your social media. That would be doing me a huge favor, and I would greatly appreciate it. Until Wednesday, I hope you have a great week.